Okay, welcome back. We're here with Moa Muse, our podcast that celebrates arts and culture in the Antelope Valley, specifically Lancaster, California. And today we're going to be talking with our guest, Nancy Baker Cahill, who's an artist that the city has commissioned to build a permanent AR augmented reality um, installation at the Prime Desert Woodland Preserve. And we're also here with Lauren Lean, who's our, one of our coordinators at the museum. And she can also tell you when we get there um, all the things that she's responsible for. But uh, mostly we're going to be chatting about the Prime Desert Woodland Preserve and some public art. And welcome, you both. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, Nancy. (laughs) Here we are. We're finally here. It's been almost two years talking about putting this installation together. And it's up and running. And we're about to have the ribbon cutting. And tell us a little bit about the process of putting this together. Okay, I'm so excited to do this. And I wonder if for some of your listeners, I should talk really quickly about what AR is. I think a lot of people might not know what it is or how it works. And so briefly, augmented reality is essentially a digital layer that is superimposed onto what we might call reality, which is to say (laughs) um, IRL, real life, the sort of space time as we experience it in the world. And it's accessible through mobile devices and tablets. And in this case, I have my own platform. It's called Fourth Wall. It's free. It was originally intended as a public art app using augmented reality to give different viewers choices in how and where they experienced public art. And the way you do it is you download the app. You allow all permissions. We don't collect any user data. I'm... I am staunchly opposed to data collection. And you bring it in this case, in this particular instance for lifelines, to a particular sign at the Prime Desert Woodland, which we can talk about the location and and the why and the how and how it manifests. And in that location, you will be able to experience the work with sound on site and record all of your experiences, which is very exciting to me. But For the uninitiated, it will be invisible to the naked eye. You actually do need a a mobile device or a tablet to serve as your visual prosthesis to experience it. And I know we talked a little bit about it when we were making plans um, about the accessibility for all. And for those people who do not have um, an Apple or an iPad or iPhone or a Google Play on whatever device they have, we will have uh, those uh, able to be checked out at the um, Elise Clifford Interpretive Center, which is on the Prime Desert Woodland Preserve. So accessibility will be there for everyone, regardless of whether you have the technology or not. This is critically important. It's a tenet that I've always espoused, and I was so grateful that you share that ethos. I think it's really important that everyone get to experience it and have their own relationship to it and interact with it in their own way. Oh, for sure. And Lauren is in charge of our, uh, most of our education, all of our education. All of our education. All of our education, yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact, for four sites um, and for the Elise Clifford Interpretive Center, which is on the Prime Desert Woodland Preserve property. 
Um, there are a lot of things happening there. And why don't you go ahead and speak to that? And then we'll get back to the specifics on, on the installation. Yeah, so we do a lot at the Elise Glifford Interpretive Center and the Prime Desert Woodland Preserve because it's really important to us as uh, the city of Lancaster and the Museum of Art and History to express the importance of the environment to the community and really get people involved with preserving the natural landscape, which is really what the Elise Clifford Interpretive Center is all about. It was founded by Elise Clifford in 1992 uh, to preserve the land in Lancaster that was being rapidly developed. And so we have this little hidden gem, a little pocket of a wonderful Joshua Tree woodland transitional habitat that the public can come in and enjoy. It's open every day. The Elise Clifford Interpretive Center is open three days out of the week. And all of our programming that we do is free to the public because, as Andy said, accessibility is one of our top priorities. So uh, within that, we do young artists workshops to engage people with nature and the arts at the same time. We do uh, bird walks, we do moon walks, we do uh, special seasonal programming uh, related to um, what's going on in nature at the time. For example, we would have a desert tortoise presentation uh, right now because it's Desert Tortoise Awareness Month. And uh, we also do um, Halloween and a number of other programming that is really fun and gets kids and youth involved with preserving our environment. And I know that the city, um, we've added several other programs. Uh, one of them that I can think of off the top of my head right now is Movers and Shakers, which is opening the preserve on Wednesday mornings specifically for seniors to get out into nature. So um, that I think that we're in our third or fourth week of that. But it's, I've been out there a couple times, and it is very popular. Oh, yeah. Lots of seniors, lots of people walking. It makes us very happy to see them all out there. Uh, I think they're uh, right now part of the preserve is closed uh, because of the rains from Hillary. We lost a couple of our trails that are pretty extensive, but that's being repaired. And you're going to see some things happening on that side on the north uh, east corner of the park uh, that will be reseeding and uh, some reestablishing a Joshua tree uh, plantings. And we'll be working with the Transitional Habitat Conservancy, which is also really, really exciting because it all is in alignment with our Getty Show PST project that's coming up in September of 2024 that is revolving around Joshua trees and the life of the Joshua tree. So it couldn't be more relevant that Nancy's installation is... Giant Joshua trees. <laughs> <laughs> Giant breathing Joshua yeah. trees. Yeah. Yeah, I'd really love to talk about it a little bit and to say that that I really appreciate both of your comments so much. And and actually the very first time, Andy, you invited me to the Prime Desert Woodland, I had an almost transcendental um, or I should say, well, I, I, transcendental yeah. is actually not the wrong word. Right. But it was a transcendent experience. I've never been in a desert, in a desert preserve that felt so timeless, mm, yeah. that felt so genuinely unspoiled. And in that sense, it was, it allowed me and it allowed my, what, we, what I would refer to as kind of the ecological imagination to really expand and blossom and to imagine what might be possible in this really extraordinary and very unique setting, I must say, particularly in a more urban context or suburban context. Right. So that felt like a tremendous privilege. And then of course, when you invited me to do this project and you know, part of the missive was to do research around the site. 
I just learned so much. I learned so much from the Audubon Society. I learned so much from local historians and naturalists. And it just made me fall in love even more deeply with the setting itself. So when it was time to really propose a project and to come up with something, it seemed to me, and I'd been doing a lot of thinking and reading and research around the moment that we're in, this moment of tremendous precarity and the opportunity for resilience, but really thinking a lot about climate collapse, thinking Mm -hmm. about ecocide, thinking about some very serious existential threats and the ways in which virtually every single ecosystem we can think of has been affected. And I was, you know, obviously, like all of us, very moved and and concerned about the Joshua trees, which have been affected by wildfires. I think we in California are really in a vulnerable position and we have so much natural majesty just, you know, here and beauty. So... So I wanted to think a little bit about how we could do something that got at that essential transcendent feeling by using and 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 harnessing all of the natural flora and fauna of the desert woodland, but also to reject human exceptionalism and to approach the project with a certain humility and to recognize all the different kinds of planetary intelligences above and below ground And it seems to me that for the Mojave, like the Joshua tree is so emblematic, so iconic. And so as an artist, you have to make certain decisions to communicate something like that. Among them, I think particularly in the realm of what I would call monumental AR, augmented reality land art, and in the tradition of like feminist land art, is to decenter the human and to do that through scale. Right. And so, as Andy indicated, the the giant Joshua these are giant Joshua 40 trees. Forty foot. They yeah. Are, massive. They, are, they dwarf the humans yes. that encounter them. And one of the things I'm really excited about with this particular installation is that because we've anchored it the way we have, you experience it at the appropriate scale. In other words, when you are standing in proximity, it's massive. Right. And when and colossal, truly colossal, and when of course you get a little distance, it, you can fit everything in frame, and it fe- doesn't feel manageable per se. But right. that kind of scale—that's a bit of a feat with AR. So I'm very proud of that. But it also felt to me that just making it giant is not enough. I really wanted to imbue them with a kind of um, sentience and life. And to, to invite conversation around what does it mean to live and to persist and to, and to exist in these ecosystems. So while we can't, as far as I can tell, currently actually witness trees breathing, that's a very anthropomorphic way of thinking about it, I wanted to underscore their life and the ways in which they live. So the trees in front of, as you as you stand before them, expand and contract. And one of the things I really love about the way that we animated them with my team at Shaking Earth is they almost dance. It's a oh, very slow, sure. yeah. it's sort of a slow, elegant dance. And that's very much connected too to the elegiac soundscape that was mm-hmm. created by Ana Luisa Petrisco. Among the wonderful things I learned from the Audubon Society, from the folks who gave me so much of their time and and knowledge just so generously, is it harnesses the bird songs of five of the most common birds, which, of course, you're going to be very familiar with. And I can tell you that that's the raven, the, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, Bewisk's wren, 
Mm-hmm. Verdon, the house finch, and the cactus wren. And I know that there are, I mean, there are countless owls, and right. I mean, there's so many incredible birds, but we had we did have to narrow it down. Yeah, there's a um, lot of birds out there. It's quite a cacophony as it is. So, <clears throat> so in addition to the breathing trees, there's this ghostly murmuration that sort of swells and swoops and 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 blooms around them. And one of the things that felt important about acknowledging the bird song is not just to think a little bit about the the ways in which migratory patterns have been affected by climate change, which was something that we talked about at length, right. but also as a, as a reverent nod to the bird songs of first peoples who, who's, and, and bird songs of, as I, as I learned from our dear scholar, right. um, represent social and funereal songs that, that catalog or that, that told migration stories and shared histories and shared memories. So it felt to me that there was a kind of beautiful opportunity to, to talk about memory and particularly AR as a medium is so sure. perfect for this because it's both present and absent. It's, it's seen and unseen all at once. It, there's a certain simultaneity to that, that I think is also true of memory and to, to metaphorize that essentially in this, in this majestic, you know, mass murmuration of of bird song and bird movement and bird motion. Well, and it isn't just. Then I just have to share this quick story with you because I don't think it happened when you were there. But as we've been installing and I've been running back and forth and testing things out, and yesterday morning I took stu- two staffers with us and and we tried to you know use multiple devices to make sure that we could make everything work and. When the birds came up on my phone, it was quiet out there and no wind or anything. And as soon as the birds came up on my phone, all the birds that were in the trees around us started singing. Oh, my It was so crazy. And I thought, oh, my God, I have to share this with Nancy. This is insane. But at first I thought I was imagining it. But no, it actually happened. And so there was this like they recognized it. Or I don't know what about it they recognize, but they actually were uh, were participating in this like response. It was That's so amazing. weird. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's their kin. Yeah. These are these sounds. A lot of these sounds were sourced. Were yeah. they? Yeah. If, just yeah. If not directly from the desert, but certainly those are the birds. I mean, we we really yeah. were very careful to. Anyway, to... I hope it happens while you're here because it was really special. Oh, wow. that sounds incredible. Yeah. I'm so delighted to hear that, and I think that that also speaks to the ways in which we can embed a human experience without harming right. the local right. flora and fauna. Right. That seems really important to me. And, and we talk about that a lot um, with our whole program and the city's you know, mission to reduce our carbon footprint. But that also means reducing our literal f- footprint um, in these places, in these natural places, making sure that we're not crushing the brush and disturbing the seedbeds. Mm-hmm. And so having this AR installation that celebrates the life of flora and fauna without actually touching the land at all is so incredible and very meaningful. And uh, I know our city officials are very excited about the ribbon cutting tonight because they're, they're all excited to see what it is. But they're also, they don't know what AR is. So they, they've been excited to learn how to use it and the fact that it's not, we didn't have to put anything in the ground. We didn't have to disturb the ground where the soil was, was undisturbed. Um, and when we first uh, proposed all of this, there were a lot of meetings on, you know, well, how much electricity are you going to need out there? And do we need plumbing? And, you know, what, what kind of 
you know, all utilities are, and I kept saying, no, 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 we don't need anything. We don't need anything. But it just, they kept asking, like, maybe they know something that I don't know. Because <laughs> I know I bugged you about it several times. I'm like, so you're sure we don't need anything? Because I kept thinking, well, maybe, maybe I don't know about this. But we literally didn't do anything. Oh, we that's... showed up. We have a sign. That's it. Yeah. That's, There's a sign. Wow. That's the magic of, that's part of the magic of AR. And I think the other part that's incredibly magical is the way in which it invites engagement. And I mean physical engagement. Sure. Really, a lot of people, when they encounter these artworks, really want to write themselves into the story. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it becomes n not performative in, in the negative sense, but literally in the kind of engagement sense. Yeah, it's very interactive. It's very interactive. And people, and the beauty of, of course, these otherwise fairly complicated influences in our lives, our little black mirrors, um, because you can record the experience, you can become, you become a part of it. Yeah. And it becomes in its own way collaborative. So I love, I mean, one of the things that's been such a pleasure for me as a creator is to see all the ways in which, you know, goofy, inspired, you know, pointed people engage with the work by putting their bodies into it and interacting with it and having someone record it. That seems really special. Do you hear that? Yeah. Is that like just one car driving down the road? <laughs> it's a motorcycle. It's a motorcycle. I think I've seen that guy wow. before. <laughs> that was loud. That's crazy. I know. I heard the music. Right. That's what I heard too. And I thought, are we being phased out? Right. <laughs> I know. It's is like that the Oscars? You're, like you, right. You're your time is up. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, Anyway, we'll get back to the installation. Um, there, I think there are a number of really exciting uh, opportunities for people. In addition to in, um, interacting with the piece itself, you're kind of forced to walk deep into the park. Mm -hmm. This is not like at the parking lot. It's right. not it's at the center. Within the trails. It's, you have to take a couple of different trails right. to get to the point. It's not a huge walk. It, Anybody can do it, and of course, our our trails are all ADA accessible. But it it's um, it's I, isolated enough it, to yeah. to feel like you're in the middle of the desert. And Nancy chose a location within the within the preserve that no matter what angle you look at, you don't see kind of man the the influence of man or civilization or. I don't know. Are we civilized enough? I don't. We're know. not. We're not. <laughs> We're or, animals. Or just like our influence is not visible. Yeah. So you can literally look at it from all four sides and not see any any other influence. Yeah, you can't see any of the housing developments no. or, you know, any Towers, of the large scale. Yeah. yeah. It's um it's a great spot. And and it's far enough away from the the Joshua trees that reside in the park that it doesn't get confusing. Um but I did I think I looked at it one angle and there were a couple of Joshua trees in there and they look really, really small. And we just had this great uh, tour uh, with the Transitional Habitat um, or Transition Habitat Conservancy last week. And they mentioned how healthy our, our preserve is because we have clones popping up everywhere. Yeah, we have so many fresh Joshua trees popping up. It's really astounding. This is so wonderful crazy. news. Yeah. This is truly, truly wonderful news. So, yeah. it's, so the... Full-size Joshua trees next to the AR Joshua tree, they look like clones. Mm -hmm. they, they look <laughs> they like the little babies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of funny. Anyway, 
another experience. But there's, I think there's something for everyone with this installation. And I think it says so much about the city's, you know, commitment to making sure that we do folk, we do have a, a sincere focus on arts and culture, but we also, it's, we're mindful of the environment and the footprint that we have, the sure. impact that we're leaving behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a wonderful I always go back to this quotation from Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, who's an who wrote us Braiding Sweetgrass. I'm sure you know it. A wonderful indigenous thought leader. And she says something like paying attention is a form of reciprocity with the world. And I think anything that allows us to stop and pay attention to just pause and engage. Now, ironically, using technology to do so, right? Not lost on me. But I think if the end goal is a different kind of awareness, because what I hope people will take away from this is actually, in many ways, and this might sound heretical, not the artwork itself, but the memory of the artwork. Right. Because that's what I have experienced myself with AR. When we've done interventions all over the world, anytime I revisit a site, and let's say I don't have the latest version of the app downloaded or I don't have my mobile device, what I remember is the content of the work in that site, on that site, in that space. Right. And there's a wonderful lawyer, art lawyer that I talked to ages ago, and we talked about it as a shared cultural thought space, but it's, it's ineffable. You can't really name it, mm -hmm. but you feel it. Yeah. And that's my hope is that you might remember the next time you walk around that corner, maybe you left your phone in the car, but you remember, oh, there were these majestic breathing mm -hmm. trees. And maybe maybe it's not just the trees that are breathing, you know, and not right. in some yeah. strange, weird, woo sense, but in a really profoundly, you know, in a way that, that acknowledges our entanglement with nature, our interdependence, all of these things that if we're going to survive the challenges ahead of us, we really have to acknowledge and acknowledge with humility. I yeah. think your installation, too, will get people to actually notice the Joshua trees in the preserve. And maybe it'll get them to think about when, for example, when people come and they forget their phone, what the experience would be like in the preserve without Joshua trees, because we're approaching right. that point now with the massive declines we're seeing. So maybe it'll stimulate a little bit more action from people when they see what this environment could be like without the influence of a Joshua tree. For sure. That's such a beautiful that's a beautiful way of thinking about it because, of course, what you're really walking through in the Prime Desert Woodland is the sculpture park. I mean, they are the most sculptural, Absolutely. breathtaking. There's a reason why you two put that on their cover. Do you know what I yeah, mean? They're, they're really, no two the same. No, it's astonishing. Even on the drive out here, I was remarking on that. We drove past even on our when we got lost. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> the the range. They are they feel as individual as as thumbprints. As oh, absolutely. They're they're highly highly individuated and that is also so exciting just ecologically really which is ironic is. because of the clones this idea of clone um but they really don't read that way they they they're majestic yeah, yeah. they really are well i wonder if we should wrap this up um I, lauren i wanted to give you a chance to talk about what's coming up at prime desert woodland preserve which um classes we mm -hmm. have coming up in the fall and winter 
if you want to speak to that. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, we always have a lot of stuff going on at ECIC. Upcoming, we have a, uh, for kids, if anyone wants to bring their little ones to the Interpretive Center, we have Halloween and Scary Science, which is the Halloween weekend, October 28th. We uh, have a number of um, educational talks coming up in the spring, so keep an eye out for those. We do have a songbird presentation with the Audubon Society taking place on November 14th, or November 18th, Sorry, <laughs> scratch that first one. November 18th, we have Autobahn coming out. And uh, I'm yeah. just impressed you remembered the dates. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say that she has nothing written in front of her. So just so you know, like she's she has remembered all of this. And then uh, we do, um, since Audubon is transitioning leadership, I encourage everyone that might have an interest in con conservation of the landscape, conservation of our wildlife and in birds to uh, look up for the uh, AV Audubon Society. We're actively recruiting for membership and uh, we do a lot of amazing engagement work with the public and uh, with conservation of our local wildlife. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? We Adult, have Adult, uh, how about the moonwalks? The moonwalks. Oh, we have our next moonwalk coming up also on October 28th. So I uh, hope you come out for that one. That'll be following Scary Science. So it'll be a nice, fun thing for all uh, family members to enjoy. We also, as Andy mentioned earlier, have our plans with Transition Habitat Conservancy. So we have a lot in the works with them, uh, ideally working with AmeriCorps volunteers mm -hmm. as well to get them out and to do some land clearing, which we'd like to open up to the public as well if anyone wants to get their hands in the dirt, in the plants, and do some tangible work that will make a difference at the preserve. And uh, we also have a partnership with AVC to get their biology department out there and the archaeology department to do some excavation of some mounds that were uh, the result of a massive and long-term dump site for the Antelope Valley community up until about the 1970s. So, um, yeah, lots yeah, of really exciting stuff. That, that program I'm especially interested in um, and then from whatever is brought out of the dig, which will be basically things we left behind as these terrible humans that we are, yeah. <laughs> um, will be made into sculpture. Uh, so we'll be actively recruiting an artist that would like to participate in that um, excavation site. So I think that might be really super fun. But also in terms of thinking about how we touch the land or how we don't touch the land, I think this one's really interesting because we're mm -hmm. going to be re reactivating things we left from 100 years ago and then turning that into sculpture to remind us like this is what happens and this what this is what doesn't go away, Yeah, what we leave behind that doesn't go away. Um, but anyway, also, I wanted to give Nancy an opportunity to talk about some other projects that she has right now. There's some pretty amazing ones. Oh, I would love to. Um, and before and whenever before we sign off, I want to give last word of uh, advice around just technical app stuff. Um, I'm very excited, <clears throat> excited to share that I just launched a project and a solo project at the Whitney Museum in New York. It's called Cento. And Cento is uh, it's actually a poetic term. It's when poets borrow phrases from multiple poems, single poems, to create a new poem. And what it is, it's also an AR project. It's an ARN video, immersive video project, also a project of ecological imagination, very, very much connected and linked to lifelines, mm -hmm. thematically and in every way, actually. But Cento is, a, is an imagined bioengineered future creature that is made of mycelium, of cephalopod, avian, 
manta ray, so marine, and serpent, and machine. And the machine, which is, I guess we would call it its head, even though that implies a certain primacy or, or hierarchy which doesn't exist. The right. entire body of this creature is is intelligent, and it's a it's a project of shared intelligences. It's a it's a body politic of sorts. It soars and flaps over the meatpacking district, and what sets this one apart is it's feathered. And we invite people through the app, and actually anybody in Lancaster or anywhere can add feathers to ensure this creature's oh, evolutionary wow. survival. Oh, so that's when you amazing. when you open the app, you'll see there's a button called Cento. You tap Cento, and the first thing you'll see is an opportunity to add a feather. And for each feather, I've assigned a different evolutionary property. Okay. So toxic filtration, translation, defense, any of these things, and you can decide what you think this creature actually needs to survive. And once you add it, it appears in real time in New York as it flaps over the meatpacking district. <laughs> so actually the Whitney Museum is tracking its evolution in real time. That's what I was going to ask you the next thing is the data of what people think this thing needs. It's fascinating. What is that going to look like and will we have access to that after it's the the installation is complete because yeah. I would love to know that. Andy, you are we are of one mind. Absolutely. So while we don't collect user data in terms of anything personal obviously. Right. We are tracking which feathers which are chosen you know, and because it may be really, it's what, one of the things I think is really interesting and could be very valuable is to understand, are these choices that people are, I'm sure there are some choices, let's be clear, that are aesthetic. Right. <laughs> but are some of the choices that people are making predicated on what's happening in the world right now? And I, does that I don't shift? know how it couldn't be. How yeah. could it not? And what's really, what was really rewarding to me when I was there last week, and I'm going back at the end of this month, are the number of people who came up to me and said, excitedly, you know, I chose this feather and here's why. Yeah. That is fascinating to me. And what we think it's the first time anyone's ever done a participatory AR project that is co-creative. I'm very inspired by Donna Haraway, yeah. obviously, and Rosie Bredotti. Hmm. And it took quite a bit of engineering, I might add. Um, again, huge kudos to my team. But so we collectively, globally co-build this, this creature. And for me, it was really important that that was the one of the, you know, one of the things we really foregrounded because I don't think we were going to survive without that type of collaboration right. and co-creation right. and to imagine together, I think. And I don't I don't feel that. I think that we're just such a divided, solipsistic uh, group right now. And I think this is one way that we could reimagine new models and that's the hope. That's what I'm hoping to do with Lifelines as well, is to really think about new models, new ways of engaging with oh, nature absolutely. that are not quite so extractive. And we come to that moment where we, I say this almost every single podcast, art is the best mechanism for change. It really is. I will say, okay, I did. I'm glad I did bring notes. I did bring notes. <laughs> I Although I have to say, you haven't used them. There's, I, but there's there's a wonderful book called Why Only Art Can Save Us. And one of the things that he talks about, it's a very theor theoretical book, but he talks about, and I know I'll mispronounce this too, it's, he talks about an erigness, erigness. It, what he's talking about is an event. And the event is the thing that shocks us out of our stupor, essentially, mm -hmm. right. and our apathy and our inertia. And it's generally artists who do that right. and do that and disrupt, literally, it, we, use, we hear that word so much and I think it's become so hackneyed, but literally disrupt, upend mm -hmm. our expectations and 
allow us even briefly, even just for a moment, to reimagine something else, something different. Well, and how could you know that if you don't know that? Exactly. Right? Exactly. You, you can't know that if you don't know that. Yeah. So having artists point those things out and creating experiences that make us feel things that we haven't felt before or connect something visual or uh, tactile to our emotions, which we have, which we don't usually do. Whoops, I'm hitting the table here. Um, <laughs> it, it's so special. And I, I only, I mean, I've been in the arts over 35 years and I've said the same thing. I am I, I literally am in the arts because of its ability to change people's minds. I mean, if if wrestling did that, <laughs> I would be the biggest wrestling advocate ever. <laughs> but but I really have watched art do that in multiple communities over totally different demographic um, and economic uh, spheres. It's it does change and. Because at the core of everyone, I think, we all want something better. We want to have quality of life. We want, uh, we want better for our children. We, want, we don't want the environment to be in the state that it's in right now. But we don't have any other way to look at it because we only know what we know. Yeah. And then when you get a bunch of really smart, creative problem solvers, which tend to be artists, um, create that thing that touches us in a way that we go, oh, I know this new feeling now. And now I know this. Now I know something. And now I know, I know that. Yeah, right? like and I, now I can move forward. I I completely agree. And I think the other thing people really want is connection. They want connection to each other, and they want connection to their environment, to their earth. And I think this is one way that we obviously can do that. I think that's very very powerful. And I will confess that when I sat down with Anna Luisa and we were working on the score. We had the what we call the animatic. We had a very cr sort of crude version yeah. of the animation, and she played her first draft. And I surprised myself by nearly bursting into tears. Oh I found goodness. it so moving. And I think for me, and this is just my own personal belief, unless something really moves me, I don't remember it very yeah. well. It doesn't really have an impact. Right. So that kind of emotional connection and being willing to connect that way seems like the kind of... Um, it's a way of maybe, I don't want to even call it, not, not leveling the playing field, but what I mean by that is like you can come from wildly disparate places mm -hmm. and then share that experience. And that seems really important now. And ironically, you will stand in the space and see and hear nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's how powerful is that? That is also like amazingly powerful. Deeply, but, deeply powerful. Yeah. Just stand here and listen. Yeah. Pay attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy good. Yeah. I have two practical things just to say to listeners about the app. Although you can, of course, download it when you're on site. That is, you have plenty of Wi-Fi to yeah, make that possible. We've been recommending that people do that at in home. advance. Yeah, Great. I was just going to say that. Yeah. And when you're on site and you are standing at the sign and you've pulled it up your phone and you've activated it, and I want to remind people to make sure their sound is enabled because the soundscape is quite right. quite beautiful. It's not moving. the same without the sound. No. And don't do what I did on the first day. Try to step backwards and then trip over the trail marker. <laughs> we do have railing. We do have, yeah, we do have trail rails that, you know, trying to keep everyone to stay on the trail so we're not disturbing seed beds. But I literally was so excited <laughs> that I tried to get like a wider shot 
and I stepped backward and and tripped and fell over. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. So let's remind everyone to just be mindful of what's around you and who's around you yes. that we don't want to step on other people and – um, I don't think that will be too much of a problem, but for me, it was. I was just so excited <laughs> in the moment. I'm like trying to get the, you know, get the get the sound in there and get the whole frame all comp- composed perfectly. And I stepped back and <laughs> fell. Well, the oh, good wow. news is that the the trail is big enough and yes. long yes. enough that yeah. you really can travel a little ways and still experience it. But I, I've had that experience many times. It has been a real concern of mine in, in, in certain contexts that are a lot less safe than the desert, <laughs> right. by the well, way. I mean, it says a lot about the installation itself that I was so engrossed in the moment that I forgot where I was. Wow. Well, that is what I That's mean. Another duty. Another word that we hear used and bandied about a lot now, now especially, is immersive. But it's genuinely immersive oh, yeah. in the truest sense. For sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a super enlightening chat, but also very um, fun. Um, thank you both for being here today. And I know this won't go live on our platform until next week, but uh, for all of you who are listening, you should swing by Prime Desert Woodland Preserve and make sure you download the Fourth Wall app, which is on Google Play and the App Store um, on your phone or your tablet or your device before you get there. You, you can do it there, but we recommend you do it before. And enjoy this beautiful Lifelines by Nancy Baker Cahill and her t- fabulous team. And thank you so much, Nancy, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, Yay. this was great. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Thanks, Lauren. All right. And until next time in Lancaster, where we're keeping it weird, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>